2: And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's get right into it. I am so excited for our first conversation today with Sarah C., who is a successful entrepreneur, publisher, and author of a new book. Seven years on the front line—true stories and tough lessons about a small business that you won't learn in a classroom. And God knows I've spent plenty of time in a classroom, so I want to real—I want to learn the real story. So, Sarah, welcome to the program.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: Absolutely. So I know you have uh, you have quite the uh, quite the amazing story. You are uh, a just a true immigrant success story. You moved uh, you came to the United States from Hong Kong at the age of eighteen. As had you've had quite the successful career over the past quarter century. Um, I mean, I, I've just been reading your story, and we'll talk all about it. So, Sarah, again, a pleasure to have you. So, when was it that you had the that you caught the entrepreneurial bug? And tell us a little bit of how that story came to be.
3: Um, I think since I was a little, you know, I, when I was a little kid, you know, I I think maybe five or six years old, you know, I would sell stuff, you know, out on the street, you know, in the, in the neighborhood. And when I was in elementary school, I actually, uh, sold a raffle ticket to my classmate and I earned some money from there. So I think at that point I knew that I, I was very interested in selling, making money.
2: And along the way, I know you've learned a lot of lessons, which is what this book is really about. Um, I mean, I've just been reading some of the bits and pieces of your life: uh, overcoming tuberculosis, (laughs) overcoming a massive IRS audit, failed business transactions. Let's talk about some of some of the things that you've dealt with over the course of your career. That, again, as you say, it's lessons that you can't learn in a classroom. What are the the big things that stick out that sort of keep you up at night or or wake you up in the morning, or maybe they don't at all. And maybe you're just over them. <laughs>
3: um, I think the, the first incident that happened um, in August, uh, 2011, my goodness, it happens. It seems like so long ago, you know, that was the first uh, event that we were dealing with, with a customer that I was already doing business for four years. And, you know, we got $7 million business, you know, every year and they're very trustworthy people. And that year, they, they got a new COO come on board. And and then um, I just knew that something was not going to go right. And then they placed a big order, $2.5 million, And I didn't have any legal paperwork in place. You know, even I was dealing with a new management team. So sure enough, you know, within a very short time, you know, they defaulted, you know, on, on it was a lot of money for a small business like us. So that triggered, you know, the first uh, litigations. So I would say that was the first experience I had, you know, my business started in 2004, we didn't have any problem. You know, it just kept growing. And, you know, by the third year, we were already doing $5 million business. And um, sure in 2011, when that thing erupted, you know, it just like really threw me off. But definitely Absolutely. I learned a lot of lessons.
2: A lot of lessons. So we're and we're going to talk about some of the identities that you have. I know being an immigrant, being a woman, um, in small business. Um, frankly, uh, dealing with some of the racism and anti-China sentiments um, that uh, I, I know you you probably have uh, have seen and, and have possibly even experienced as an immigrant from from Hong Kong. So I want to break all those pieces apart. But uh, first, you just mentioned legal as an example. So a takeaway for our small business owners that are listening. Um, the, this evening, as this uh, as this program airs, what's the takeaway for a small business owner? What should they do to make sure that they spend the right amount of money on legal protection, but don't go overboard?
3: Um, I would say, you know, you uh, make sure you have everything in writing. You have, you know, not you know, not all businesses are good business. You just need to find the right. Um, clientele who are trustworthy and the relationships healthy, mutually, you know, beneficial. I would say, you know, the first step, you know, you you need to really identify and qualify the right customers for your company, and those yeah, is going to help exactly. your company grow. In instead of driving you crazy.
2: <laughs> so I know you've learned those lessons from uh, from trusting a handshake deal, and then uh, seeing uh, seeing how that went. So you're giving the advice to make sure people don't have to go through those same uh, pitfalls, trials, and tribulations. But launching and running a small business is a challenge um, on uh, just any day of the week. It doesn't matter what line of work you're in. So continuing on the theme of again, practical lessons learned. What are some of the things that you've seen the unexpected surprises, both for the good and bad in running a small business?
3: Um, I would say for, for the most part, you know, you know, my company, this is the, um, my goodness, the the 17th years, you know, it's just getting a lot, a lot more fun because I think, you know, being able to go through the seven years, I learned a lot lessons. I am able to really not making the same mistake I used. So I would say you know delegation is a big part. You know I'm a visionary. You know like a lot of entrepreneurs, they're visionary. You know they started something from nothing. So I think we really need to focus on something that we are really good at while we delegate uh, the task. You know to to able employees. You know find really trustworthy suppliers, vendors, partners, and employees to support you along the way. So that's my formula. You know that you know, that I've been using for the past years. You know, I'm just experienced tremendous success, you know, and fulfillment, you know, in what I do in my business.
2: Well, congratulations on that success. Again, I'm chatting with the author of Seven Years on the Frontline, True Stories and Tough Lessons About a Small Business That You Won't Learn in a Classroom. But I find that ironic because you say not in a classroom, but you are the, uh, the true success story. You Again, you uh, you came from Hong Kong to the United States at the age of 18, went to college here, attended law school, earned an MBA in business, so lots of classroom time. So you're saying that the real experience was, uh, was not in the classroom environment. It was more on, on Main Street
3: um yeah, I, I would say um yeah, a lot of things. You know, now I'm do I'm a mentor at a university. You know, a lot of students that I am mentoring, they they're surprised that the thing I'm teaching them, they don't learn it in a classroom in the MBA program. So I think being able to discern people is a big thing, you know, in business. Um it is being able to to, you know, as I said earlier, identify and qualify the right customer and partnership, you know, because those people uh, that you find the right people are those who are going to help you succeed in life and along the way in your business and also in your personal life. Because the more they help you, the business financially, you'll, the more you prosper. Then it will really free you up to do things that you truly enjoy.
2: That's for sure. And mentorship is so important. That's definitely advice that I think is so important and relevant for all of our listeners. Regardless of how big or how small your business is or whether you're even in business, make sure you find a mentor and somebody that can support you. So, as we're uh, starting to come to the conclusion in our conversation, uh, again, we mentioned several times, obviously, female, small business owner, and immigrant. How do any of those identities um, either uh, sort of prop you up for success or have you encountered any bias or challenges um, because of being a female immigrant in small business?
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, like not until the episode in 2012, you know, that a New York company came to me and for a very unique book project for an airline. And he made a remark, you know, telling me to go back to China. I, I was like very shocked because Hard to that, I didn't have any experience, you know, and, you know, people ridicule me like this. But I did find, and I'm in the publishing, printing industry, you know, is male-dominant industry. I had to do work extra, extra hard to prove myself that I'm able and I'm capable. But because my company had been around for 18 years, now I have established a reputation in the industry doing what I do, you know, very unique uh, publications.
2: Yeah, that's that's... It's awesome. You've overcome um, those challenges, and um, you're setting the standard, frankly. So, um, Saritza, you've you've shared so much with us. Again, the author of the book, Seven Years on the Frontlines, True Stories and Tough Lessons About a Small Business That You Won't Learn in a Classroom. Um, and I know you, you're pretty honest in the book, and you share some real experiences. So, how can people learn more about you and uh, pick up a copy of the book?
3: Yeah, they can um, visit my website, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, uh, middle initial Y is Yvonne, and T for Tom, S for Sam, E for Edward, and um, .com. And, you know, you can go to your, uh, the store webpage, purchase my book. If you type the code F-A-I-T-H, Faith, uh, you're going to get free shipping.
2: That's awesome. Sarah, thank you so much. And I know that you're so passionate about mentoring students, teaching people about the art of self-publishing, and especially dedicated to uh, to teaching um, those in particular. I know that you say our first-time authors, school administrators, teachers, police officers, and teenagers. And I know you're a frequent speaker, so I encourage all of our listeners to get in touch with you. Sarah, why TSE.com. Sarah, thank you so much. And uh, we're going to squeeze in a quick break and more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return after this quick commercial break. Be sure to get on my website, ShalomKlein.com and be sure to check out our sponsors, Chicago Signature Limo.com and HealthPlanChicago.com. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. I'm thrilled to be joined by Alex Dripchak, a New York City-based millennial sales expert uh, and uh, just all-around uh, fascinating, fascinating individual. He's, uh, he's going to share uh, some of his tips, advice, which I've absolutely been fascinated with uh, because I know Alex began his sales career at Oracle uh, where he was the first person ever to be a sales manager and outside producer by the age of 25. And today, he serves as a senior advisor at Mercer, a global HR consulting leader in talent, health, retirement, and investments. He's also the co-founder of uh, Commence, a careers academy for, for college students. And again, the author of 100 Skills for the Successful Sales Professional. Alex, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me, Shalom.
2: It's a pleasure. So, you have quite an interesting entrepreneurial story, and what I love is uh, what you're doing in giving back. So, uh, something I find fascinating is uh, people that are always willing to learn and grow. And sometimes those people are not always in sales because a lot of salespeople just want to go, go, go. So, tell us how you discovered your passion for learning and growing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I think it was a combination of different things. For me, it was being at Oracle and i always kind of just was I, I was brought up listening to all the best uh sales people and i kind of got an early exposure to a lot of the best sales talent and as i transitioned into mercer there's a whole different sales process so whereas at oracle it was much more formulaic people would go out to three five seven different vendors and pick the best one and mercer was extremely relational and it was okay these people are taking me out to lunch or these people um, you know, are, are ones that I really like. Let me pick one of those. So it wasn't as much, let me look at the best. It was more, let me look at who I know. So I'm like, all right, I really need to work on cultivating relational sales. and, And how do I kind of pivot towards a more, even more complex sale that was even more relational. So I started reading a lot of the best sales books and became a real voracious student of the game. And it just became, I read 27 books and I said, Hey, a lot of these books are fantastic, but they're much more methodical or procedural. Uh, Wouldn't it be great if people just kind of pulled things out and curated and collated the skills that you're going to need in order to be successful in sales to kind of help the next generation.
2: That's huge. And uh, Alex, uh, we won't have time to talk about all uh, 100 uh, tips over here, but uh, you certainly have learned a thing or two. So what are some of the six skill sets in sales and how do you know when you shine or frankly, when you suck?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a dear impact question, I kind of broke it out into six categories of the 100 skills. So you had kind of your internal developments, like how are you progressing, uh, making sure that you're prepared and keeping your team involved, uh, meeting effectiveness. So how do you really make sure you're making the most of that meeting on uh, negotiation and persuasion. So, of course, it's not as big of a component as people think, but that's definitely an element as well. So I kind of broke it out into these different categories and uh relationship building obviously was the was the biggest one too so and then for me it was really just taking that introspective reflective look at yourself where you ask yourself the tough questions of all right am i really maximizing my preparation am i visualizing the end result and deconstructing every element of the the process to make sure that there's no weak links in the armor i think a lot of people kind of just look at the time they're like i have an hour so let me fill that hour and it's really no how do you refine down each section into very um, structured and strong elements. Absolutely. I'm chatting with
2: the author of 100 Skills of the Successful Sales Professional. And Alex, you just used the relationship word. And I know that's something that you talk about in the book about playing the long game, choosing relationships over just chasing sales. So what was that aha moment for you when you realized what that means to actually build true relationships that actually are... A two-way street
0: absolutely so i think that there's a, there's a few different moments but i think they all get back to not pushing out with your solutions first it's really just taking a other centric approach of what's most important to them so for me one of the examples was somebody was losing their job and uh helping them find another opportunity and then just you know the, the whole basis of the relationship changed it was a te- an email every once in a while became phone calls and text messages and thank yous and just kind of this indebtedness. So I think that when you can really do something for somebody else, and it's something that they are really living and breathing in every day, rather than you trying to push your solution and find a fit, that's where you really um, transcend the relationship.
2: And along the way, I'm sure you have seen a thing or two in sales, the, uh, I think you call the cringeworthy uh, buzzwords that might be out there in sales. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to ask you to repeat them because they're cringeworthy for a reason. What are some of the things that, for the entrepreneurs that are tuning in uh, to the program, that I mean, I believe that every entrepreneur is in sales, meaning that they are in relationship building. What are some of the things that you've seen that, that has worked, some of the te- practical techniques uh, that you'd like to see our listeners put into practice this week?
0: For, for relationship building, think, I think it stems from what I was talking about earlier, is, is focusing on what other people find important and how can you help drive what's going to make them a personal and professional success? What are their KPIs? What are their metrics that matter? starting from there and seeing how you can help. And maybe you're introducing a client to them. Um, Maybe you are helping spread the word for them organically on LinkedIn or through other different mediums, but it's really starting with them before starting with yourself.
2: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And, um, are there any specific tools that you've, uh, seen, uh, utilized? Uh, I mean, LinkedIn, obviously that that's an easy one, but any particular networking, uh, techniques that, that you've seen that has worked that has helped you open doors that, as you keep saying, has helped you build real, meaningful, professional relationships?
0: As far as additional platforms are concerned, it's usually trying to find the ways to get in-person. Uh, so different events, I would say, are really key, but not trying to really be a sponsor. I think that going as an attendee, you kind of get to people, meet people in their authentic self with their guard down. And uh, if people ask you what you do, you obviously, you'd be upfront about what you do, but I think when you're meeting people as a peer, they're more willing to connect with you rather than, you know, wearing the suit and being on stage. There are different connotations of that. So it really depends on what you're trying to get at. But I think if you're trying to really get out there and build these relationships and find authentic avenues to do so, I think going to an attendee and and kind of just absorbing the information and meeting as many people as you can organically uh, is the way to do it
2: changing gears for a moment I, I mentioned that uh, you uh, and I believe you have a couple of uh, of uh, partners in this uh, you've launched commence your career um, which I found fascinating and on the website it says your dorm room to boardroom action plan which is absolutely awesome and it's one of the things that you talk about in the book of hard skills I think you say set the floor um, but soft skills uh, break the ceiling which is awesome so what's your advice for those that might be tuning in that are might be in college uh, you know studying uh, getting ready to get their career off the ground. Do these same skills that you've been talking about, Alex, apply in the, call it not the job search, but in the professional uh, search, which is might be a little different than sales?
0: Absolutely. I think that, and Daniel Pink talks about this in his book, To Sell is Human, but it's about 80% of jobs have some kind of component of persuasion or negotiation or just trying to get somebody from one side of the coin to the other. So how do you get people to see your perspective? So I think these skills definitely apply, but my advice really to college students would be to take less of a transactional approach. I think a lot of people are like, I need to find a job, so I'm gonna reach out to people that can get me a job. When you're reaching out for advice, recommendations, insights, uh, that's where you're able to build, again, that authentic organic relationship where people are gonna want to help you. And you can build that mentor, that sponsor, that coach, rather than just somebody, hey, can you get me a job? Because no one wants that kind of approach. So. I think that's really key. I think following up with people, it's a, it's a very easy one, but a lot of students are like, oh, thanks for the advice, and then you never hear from them again. So just kind of, you know, here are the three things I'm doing to implement the advice you gave me uh, is, is, is really crucial. So I think that those are two really huge elements for, for students to absorb.
2: Yeah, follow-up is so important. And I've seen that over and over and over again as I've spent time um, meeting with folks, is have a great conversation. I'm truly, I think that most people that are networking are truly want to help, but you've got to make it easy on people to, to allow them to help you, Of uh, make sure that you're preparing them. I mean, I believe that business cards are for everybody, whether you're in business or whether you're looking for a job, make it easy for people to follow up to, to give you the connections, the contacts and so on. So follow-up is important. Time management is important. Contact management is is important and all of these things you can and should be doing, frankly, even before you're ready for your first job, is uh, you know, set set the, the foundation, um, for success, which is huge. All so, again,
1: we
0: talk about in the program, shalom, well, literally. Well, well like
2: people need so to hard. get on your website, <laughs> com. They need to pick up a copy of the book, 100, uh, 100 Skills. So, on that note, as we're uh, quickly running uh, out of time over here, Alex Dripchak, you're, uh, you're you're a true uh, mentor and professional. How can people get in touch? With touch with you and pick up a copy of the book. So
0: yeah, you can get a copy of the book on um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Business Expert Press as the publisher, but I have 100salesskills.com where you can find the book as well as some articles that go along with the book. Uh, you can message me on LinkedIn, Alex Dripchak, of course, we're also on at Commence, and are you Workforce Ready on Instagram. So a few different oh, awesome.
2: Absolutely. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, be sure to come back and share some more of your advice expertise. I have a feeling that there will be uh, probably 100 more uh, tips and advice probably coming in a future book too. So stay in touch, my friend. I appreciate it. We're going to squeeze in a quick break, headlines, uh, and more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. Be sure to check out our sponsors, ChicagoSignatureLimo.com and HealthBlendChicago.com. We'll be right back. back to Get Down to Business. As promised, I'm joined by Sean Campbell, the founder and CEO of Cascade Insights. Uh, Sean has been training, mentoring, and educating his entire life. And he's an exceptionally well-regarded conference speaker and author and has delivered talks for Fortune 50 companies and top-tier conferences, the author of several books on technical as well as business topics. So, Sean, um, with all of that, I appreciate you squeezing time to come
4: onto the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on
2: it is fun to have you so let's talk about your business story because behind every uh behind every uh speaker uh there's always a fascinating individual so sean tell us uh, your story
4: well in terms of business ownership um i ended up becoming a business owner um just because i love to teach and i love to learn uh you know i had no plans to become a business owner when i was um going out of college i wanted to be a college professor uh, that was my plan, and I ended up uh, going out and becoming an independent trainer, and then that led to a business that was doing business with Microsoft, and then that led to work with Intel, and then before I know it, I sold my first business and ended up in a second business that's also dealing with a lot of kind of household names in tech. Um, so, somewhat the accidental entrepreneur in that regards, but uh, but it's been a it's been a very fun ride. I'm like on year twenty one now of owning a business and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way.
2: So you've seen what works and what doesn't work. And very briefly, uh, if that's possible, for our entrepreneurs that are tuning in this evening, as we air this conversation, what are some of the things that uh, you've struggled with that maybe you wanna help uh, a fellow entrepreneur not struggle with? And what are some of the shortcuts and keys to success that you've seen that has worked well that you would recommend for for other business owners?
4: Yeah, no, if, if I had, only a couple minutes like we have here to sit down with a bunch of entrepreneurs, I would tell them one short story and I would tell them what the moral of that story was. So when I was a younger entrepreneur, uh, in full disclosure, I'm 51 now and had businesses for 21 years, like I said, but um, I met a guy at HP at the time. This was a number of years ago. His name was Paul Loeb. And I was in a meeting and he was asking me all the things that we do. And every time he asked me about something that we do, I said, yeah, we do that too. And we do that too. And it was true. We did do all those things. It was great. Um, And about halfway through that meeting, he held out his hand. Never a good sign when a client holds out their hand in front of you for any particular reason whatsoever. And he says, um, I know you want to keep the aperture wide open, but... And at that moment, I realized I'd basically messed up, Uh, and you know, a few things kind of fell into my head all at the same moment. Um, Basically, I convinced this guy tried to convince this guy that we'd done too many things, and he wasn't going to believe it even if we did them all correctly. And he was right that I needed to narrow the aperture down to something that really mattered. And so, years later, what I've kind of coined that into is what I've called the age of narrow, and meaning that um, people want to buy things fairly narrowly we do this in all of our lives right um you know we we like to have a netflix queue that's unique to us um we like to have if we looked at our amazon purchases they'd probably be fairly unique to us and in the b2b world that i live in in the business to business world so business to business sales and business to business marketing um you know it's also true there and what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is they kind of violate that rule of the age of narrow? They, they do the age of wide. You know, they the minute they start their business, they take in any kind of work that they can get. Um, they work with any type of client that will pay them, and initially it feels great because who doesn't like to get paid for doing what they do, even if they do it well, right? I mean, that's the idea. And but what happens is you just start to lose focus, and so um, a lot of things become harder. It becomes harder to get the next client because uh they look at what you've done in the past and you've done it for a whole bunch of different people and they can't see that you've centered on one thing to be good at um it becomes harder from a marketing standpoint because when you try to message to the world well now you're messaging to like not a particular type of client or a particular type of problem that you solve you're messaging to maybe tens or hundreds of different types of problems that you solve right and really what this comes down to is a degree of kind of courage from the entrepreneur standpoint. Um, you have to be willing to say no to certain types of business. When you start, you just have to. And if you're not saying no to certain types of business, um, you're going to end up so spread out that all those things are going to be so much harder for you in year two or three or four or five or 10. And, um, I just, I just know that was one of the things that was really important to our success. Like early on, we struggled with that. We said yes to any type of client or any type of industry, and when we really narrowed in and we said all we want to do is B two B tech and work with like Microsoft and Intel and Google and Amazon and those guys and a bunch of startups that are fun too in that space, um, work just exploded for us. We became a lot more renowned. We became a lot more well known, and uh, it just worked out much better for us. So say, so say no to certain opportunities and get a little narrow. That's what I would tell you. Well, Sean,
2: you you would know from uh, being the serial entrepreneur that you are. And honestly, I could talk to you for hours, which uh, hopefully one of these days we will. Um, But again, I've been chatting with Sean Campbell, the founder and CEO of Cascade Insights. And we will have you back on, Sean. But I want to make sure our listeners know where they can get a hold of you so they can learn all about your many writings, books, and of course, talks that you're involved in.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Go to CascadeInsights.com, spelled just like it sounds. Uh, And I'm not hard to find on the internet. If folks have questions about uh, market research, which is what we do, or marketing services for technology companies, you can email me at Sean, S-E-A-N, at CascadeInsights.com. And if you're just an entrepreneur that's struggling and you want someone to chat with and a shoulder to lean on, you can email me so I'm happy to chat.
2: Sean Campbell, thank you so much for joining us. We'll squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. back to Get Down to Business, the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Check out my website, ShalomKline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past eight plus years. There's shows, again, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, which is exactly what my next guest, Sean Dowdell, is all about. He's known as the Tattooed Millionaire, which was also the title of his first book in 2017. And I say that intentionally, first book, um, because in addition to his role as founder and CEO of Club Tattoo, he's a drummer. He's also a frequent speaker um, all over on media. And uh, together, uh, Sean and his wonderful wife, uh, Thora, have uh, authored a new book called Brand Renegades, Our Our Fearless Path from Startup to Global Brand. So, Sean, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: It's fun to have you. So uh, I have to assume that you're called uh, the Tattooed Millionaire for a reason, um, even though we're having this conversation on the radio um, and we can't. uh, Well, I can see you, but our listeners can't. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your story.
1: So my story is uh, a lengthy one. I wrote my first book in 2017 entitled The Tattooed Millionaire. And basically that was a book based on my entrepreneurial path uh, based back into my teenage years, uh, the mentors and the influences that I had in my life that helped mold and shape my business mind. And then I opened up my first business, my, my first true brick and mortar business called Club Tattoo in 1995. Uh, it went on to be very, very successful. Currently we have six studios, They're luxury tattoo and piercing studios in this uh las vegas market uh, on the strip and the casinos there and then uh we have three in arizona it's it's a very upscale uh very art gallery type feel of tattoo and piercing studios we sell a lot of gold a lot of diamonds uh and then the business just uh got really successful as i said wrote my first book in 2017 and then we just wrote our second book called brand renegades Uh, my wife and i uh, did that together It came out last month, uh, 2021, and that is our story and our thought process of how we approach business and our entrepreneurial mindset. And uh, we thought we would just share with others and give people, um, I'm not sure I would say advice, but give people our strategies and the way that we think and approach different uh, problems within our company and maybe they can u- utilize some of those um, processes and, and approaches in their business because I, I believe there's a lot of processes, I guess, that, sure. that we that we utilize in different arenas all the time. And I think-
2: So, so Sean, I have to ask, um, one of the things that uh, I find fascinating about you from um, looking into you quite a bit uh, prior to this conversation, is that you are a branding guy, which explains why the title of the book is called Brand Renegades. Um, but, but when was the aha moment for you that you're not just working in the business, but you're working on the business, that you're actually building a brand and you're building an identity that's larger than just a, a luxury tattoo or piercing experience?
1: I read a lot, and uh, that concept—I'm not sure where I got the concept of working in instead of on the business came from. Uh, My wife utilizes that term a lot, but we started to analyze the diminishing returns of our of our efforts in certain areas. um, As much as I like to process body jewelry and look at body jewelry and put it into our cases, it, it starts to come with diminishing returns. Is that the best way to utilize my time? And are we getting a higher ROI? on that time if I invested in that arena. Sometimes I do things just because I love to do it and there is no ROI on it, which is fine. I have no issue with that. But if, but you do have to uh, realize your responsibility as a leader is that to maximize your efforts to give your company its biggest ROI. And I'm not talking about just financially, I'm talking about the way it's presented, the aesthetic, the customer experience, and your employee's experience within your company. All those things really matter. And, we, I don't know that it had an aha moment. I think it was developed just over many years. The more we analyze, the more we realize uh, what we can improve upon. Sure.
2: And we're talking a lot about your recent experiences. Uh, again, your first book, 2017, and you've been on a roll, again, speaking all over the place. But when was that moment um, that you Felt that you discovered your 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 niche, and what advice do you have for fellow entrepreneurs that might be tuning in, in terms of how to discover what you do well and how to build that into a business?
1: Oh wow! Okay, that's a that's a a long answer, but I'll I'll make it short as as short as I can. So I would say in the mid two thousands, we started to realize that we were trying to service everybody, and that was an unrealistic expectation that we could make all areas of the market uh, content with what we are offering. So we realized we started to ask our clients who they were, where they lived, how old they were, what sex they were, uh, how often they get tattooed or pierced. What would they like to see us change about our business? So we started to realize that the core of our business wasn't who we thought they were we realized we had about a 60% female clientele that wanted an upscale, safer experience. So we started to slowly shift our, our business model to service that. And once we did, we, we, we would spend 10% more energy time and money on servicing that niche. And we would see a 35% return growth on our bottom line. So we're like, Whoa, we have something here. And, and once we started to really dive into that, we realized we are a luxury, high end upscale service model, we had to completely separate ourselves from the the price point, the lower price points and trying to service the 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 entry to our market clientele. And once we did that, we doubled our bottom line. We made the client experience easier easier and and we the clients really understood what they were going to get and what they were to expect before they walked into the door. We we designed a completely different business model based on that.
2: That's huge. And my mentor would say it's the uh, the vital few, um, which is really important. So, again, I'm chatting with Sean Dowdle, the uh, the tattooed millionaire um, and the author of Brand Renegades, our fearless path from startup to global brand. We're going to squeeze in a quick break and we'll continue our conversation in just a moment here and get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I'm chatting with the tattooed millionaire. That's right, Sean Daddle from Club Tattoo, who together with his wife uh, have written the book, Brand Renegades, which we'll talk about uh, some more in just a moment. So, Sean, you've been sharing your story, some of the advice that you have, and some of, more importantly, your own experiences. But you've taken risk in uh, building, uh, building a, a brand, not just a business, but really a brand. So, how do you know what's the right amount of risk to take on?
1: We talk about taking affordable risks and making affordable mistakes. So early on, your your risk factor tends to be a little bit larger. You tend to roll, you know, um, put it all on the table, so to speak. Uh, as I get older, uh, I tend to mitigate the risk a little bit more and realize that uh, as you start to accumulate um, equity and uh, you know a, a little bit of financial stability you tend to not want to risk those things as much. So we talk about making affordable risks and taking on uh, a risk that if things do go wrong, that you can survive the absolute worst case scenario and still move forward and not lose your business. So we talk about that in length in the book. Uh, My wife and I, we talk about uh, a a risk that we took back in uh, 2011, 2012. We opened up a store at Pier 39 in San Francisco we spent about two million dollars opening up a store in a really beautiful area, right on the pier on the water. It was amazing, but uh, you know, eventually, uh, over a period of three years, the business failed. We decided to close it, and we took a two million dollar loss. And had we not mitigated the risk in the first place and, and shouldered different uh, or shored up rather different areas of our financial portfolio, it could have been completely devastating to our entire company just by losing one um large flagship studio so we talk about taking on risks and making sure that you can survive worst case scenario
2: yeah that's 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 so important and and finally and we are quickly coming to the end of our conversation again with uh the tattooed millionaire over here is um I know you pride yourself and you talk about this uh, regularly a uh, being a leader and not just being a boss not just being a manager and i was just telling you uh during the break uh that i just had that conversation with somebody about you know understanding the big difference so what is the difference on your end and how do you practice that um in your companies
1: i think the first the first thing is lead by example you know a lot of people especially in social media days they tend to want to copy and paste other people's thought processes thought leadership and that it takes a lot more than just copying and pasting somebody else's thoughts and words to being a leader. You actually have to practice what you preach. And your employees, your staff, they'll pick up on your action far quicker than they will on what you're saying. Because if they, if you're saying one thing and doing another, they'll see you as a hypocrite and they'll, they won't buy into what it is you're trying to uh, say. So as a leader, uh, my wife, my partner, Laura, and I, we like to show our staff the why the what and the how before um just what it is we want them to do um if, if your staff sees you cleaning up the parking lot if your staff sees you out shaking hands with your customers if your staff sees you cleaning up a countertop or or, or helping uh you know pick things up they'll actually realize that you care uh enough about the business that they will follow you mm-hmm. into battle so to speak and that, great advice That's a tremendous uh, thing. A lot of people don't understand being a boss is not just telling other people what to do. It's explaining the why they should be doing it in the first place. That's
2: right. That's right. So Sean, I want to make sure our listeners know where they can pick up a copy of uh, brand renegades and get in touch with uh, you and learn more about uh, your luxury experience that you provide. Uh, Tell us how they can get in touch.
1: So our book is called brand renegades. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at our website businessgamechangers.com. You can get it at clubtattoo.com. I'm pretty sure you can get it on many different book sites uh, as well. And I hope you check it out. And I hope there's some meaningful um, business advice for you for any young entrepreneur that that wants to um, improve their business.
2: Well, there certainly is uh, ClubTattoo.com. And again, the book is called Brand Renegades, A fearless path from startup to global brand. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. And that will be a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer.